You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Outdoor Edge knows that providing a freezer full of meat is part of the reason we all hunt. And what better way to bring it full circle than to process your own wild game? Outdoor Edge provides a full lineup of traditional and replaceable blade hunting knives and complete wild game processing kits to bring your wild game from the field to the freezer. Visit OutdoorEdge.com and at checkout, enter the discount code N-A-T-I-O-N-3-0 for 30% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Tuning in, guys. Another episode of the Pennsylvania Woodsman Podcast. I'm your host, Mitchell Sherrick, and with me is... Robbie Henney. How you doing, Mitchell? Living a dream. Um, just another day in paradise. One of my one of my growers, every time I call him, you know, you always have those uh, client calls. You, you can't go, hey, Mike, how you doing? Every day's a holiday, Mitchell. That's what he <laughs> yep. always says. And I, I try to... Oh, my God. Sometimes it's hard to, like have that in your mind like every day is a holiday where every day is a gift yeah no i i know what you're saying and some days it just you just want it to get over with but every day you just got to remember you're blessed and and just got to keep keep on keeping on i guess every day is a blessing and i think you know there's so many times like this past year with the hunting season i had i think all the time like I can't wait to get it back out and hunt again. You know, here we are, it's March and I'm already thinking about October and while there's nothing wrong with that, um, yeah, don't, uh, don't wish it away, I guess, so to speak. No, I know. I know. And I think the same way when, when certain times of the year come along, it's just like, oh, let's get through this and looking forward to new events or looking forward to hunting season or sometimes football season in my case uh i just i just want to get there but i got shooting at bow years yeah yeah i have um i'm i want to take it out get it tuned up a little bit more but uh i'm starting to get back into it now that now i have a little bit more time with the nice weather i mean still trying to batten down this house and wedding coming up so i'm not not too much free time how about you yeah, I've been shooting a little bit. Are you still got the bug for buying a new one? I 
yes, I have the bug, but I think I might hold out one more year. Uh, the thought of buying a house has changed that. Y- yes, it has, 100%. And <laughs> Yeah, 100%. I even texted uh, the guy I go to for bows and said, hey, I don't think I'm going to get one this year, but definitely going to bring the bow out to get tuned up. So, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to get out more this summer. Um, my cousins have been texting me to go 3D shoots on Sundays, and so hopefully I'll get to some of those and yeah i wouldn't mind going with you i mean i used to love doing those shoots and i still do love those 3d shoots the the thing i always you know bugs me is like they're always sunday mornings like i usually go to church no exactly i know that's what this past sunday he texted me and said i and i said nope i can't i got sound system at church gotta make sure the pastor's heard (laughs) exactly yeah and like sometimes i'll get away with every now and then like they'll they'll go till later morning so like if i go to the early service for church like i can go out afterwards and shoot a little bit but i try to keep it family oriented day too it's kind of tough but speaking of bow tuning um we had uh we had a conversation with nate sellers from average jack archery um and if you uh anybody listening to this um probably has has ran into nate sellers average jack archery on youtube um it's a fantastic youtube channel um we had the privilege to talk with him nate's a pa boy um nate's going to be starting up his new bow shop here soon yeah he had a lot of a lot of good information uh not only about the gear bows arrows but just hunting tactics in general and and just styles to shoot your bow form shooting your bow and he covers a ton in his youtube videos uh covering all aspects of of archery hunting and archery shooting well the thing i love about nate so much is nate is an english teacher so nate has it instilled and i think like really good teachers like it's all it's just like one of those things you're gifted with like you're just naturally good at teaching and helping people so like he's an english teacher and he translates that and takes that into the world of archery and takes that into his videos and now has his own shop um that's going to be opening here in 22 2022 and it's just a it's a it's a really exciting setup but i think that's why his videos are so well put together like he's well informed he's to the point he's descriptive and i think that's why so many people like his videos myself included yeah he can really break it down where it's not not too simple where it's someone who at least knows a bit about archery is going to be bored by it but you no matter what level of archery you are you'll you'll learn something from his videos oh without a doubt you know um whether you're a beginning bow hunter or whether you've been um you've been shooting for for years um there's a lot to take away from nate um so we get to catch up with him talk about his shop and we talk about some uh some equipment related things and and thoughts that we uh dive into his hunting season a little bit nate killed the best deer of his life in indiana this year so it's a great conversation so i hope you guys really enjoy it and we'll catch you in a bit So back again with another episode of the Woodsman Podcast, uh, Pennsylvania Woodsman. Thanks for tuning in, guys. And uh, on the phone with Robbie and I today is Nate Sellers from Average Jack Archery. Um, Nate, thanks for tuning in with us this week. Thank you guys for having me on. I sincerely appreciate it. Yeah, me too. I've been a I've been a pretty long time follower of of Average Jack Archery and all you have to do. So it's been a it's been a great uh, series of videos to help me with with 
just, you know, anything from small to big things, archery related. And uh, I love that it's Pennsylvania oriented. I know, I know that we were, you know, I always talked about people that whenever I meet somebody from PA that are like, yeah, I see your stuff. Like, that's cool. You know, like you're in the same area as me, you know? And I think it's cool for a lot of us to try to resonate with the Northeast, you know, New York, PA, Ohio, West Virginia, like dudes doing bow hunter stuff, you know, having podcasts like this, YouTube videos like this, try to relate to as many people that are in my geographic area as possible. So thanks for having me on. I think, I, I think this is a, this is a cool niche to fit into. Well, absolutely. We're glad to have you. Um, so you have, I, I think I was looking on your YouTube channel. You have 300 some videos posted on your, uh, on your channel by now, I think it said, um, so can you kind of give me a background? How did you get into average Jack archery in this YouTube world? Long story short, um, my grandfather was a competitive archer for Hoyt for decades back in the eighties and nineties. And, um, you know, here in PA, you remember we couldn't hunt until we were 12 for the longest time. There was no mentored hunting program. And so I had to wait till I was 12 years old, but I started shooting a bow around that time, 11, 12. And my grandfather, he taught me based the basics of shooting a bow. Um, uh, and so just through a little bit of that, and then I competitively shot air rifles and small bore with my local 4-H club. I ended up competing in state, national, international level tournaments. And I just really enjoyed competitive shooting sport. And um, when I got into high school and college, I realized that, you know, firearms were a lot more difficult to work with than a bow. I could just step off my back porch. And here we are in rural PA. You know, I can step off my back porch and shoot a bow anytime I want. And so when I was in high school, I started kind of focusing more on the bow. And then when I got to college, I really started focusing on a bow. And when my wife and I got married, uh, we had our first kid. You know, I was just, I had been learning and reading and every field and stream magazine and every book I could possibly do. And YouTube was in its infancy and trying to glean as much as I can because I'd learned how to shoot a bow, but I didn't understand any of the physics behind it, why it worked, string materials, arrow builds, nothing. And so I just was an absolute sponge. And it got to a point where my wife was like, you have to stop regurgitating this to me at the dinner table. You need to make your own dadgum videos for other people to watch that want to watch. You know, I love you, right. but I, I need other people to be part of this. And so I made a video about making homemade lighted knocks. And I filmed with my handy cam, you know, in my basement. And, and I posted it on YouTube. And I was like, yeah, it's not going to go anywhere. And it just took off. And then other people were like, you have other tutorials and all this sort of stuff and i go back and watch those videos and they're horribly lit and you know terrible audio and everything but i'm like that's that was kind of like the thing though it was like i wish that i had somebody to sit down with me when i first started archery and just explain all the simple step one step two kind of stuff and so that's where the channel was born and then being a school teacher for a living i'm used to breaking things down into very small steps for people who don't want to learn anything <laughs> i teach middle school for a living so um, you know, so breaking things down like that, it just kept snowballing, snowballing, and snowballing. And it just, it's just a great passion. It's a great hobby for me. And I'm, I'm used to the education side and, um, I'm glad that people keep coming back and tuning in, bringing new people in. We passed over 8 million total views this year. That's awesome. insane. It's absolutely insane it's to me. Big. Like I just go like seven years ago, you know, I'm just a dude in my basement. Now, seven years later, I'm still a dude in my basement, but we have 8 million views. And so. Yeah, it's, it's really cool to me. It's really cool. I'm glad that I stuck with it and, and continue to do it. Now it's turned into a, a full-blown retail space, you know, and a full-blown pro shop. Yeah, so first off, I'd like to compliment you and say hats off with your videos. With, you know, you said you being an English teacher, you, you do such a fantastic job of really 
giving that step-by-step video and trying to make it as self-explanatory as possible with every topic that you talk about. And I think it makes it a really, really great watch. So anybody who's listening to this, if you haven't listened or watched to an average Jag video, you know, you guys got to tune in because there's a lot of great information on your channel, Nate. Yeah, I appreciate that. And it's not, you know, it's not flashy, you know, it's not sexy. It's not the crispy John Dudley cool, you know, hundred yard shots, but it's going to help you get better at the sport of archery. And that's, that's the ultimate goal. Cause if you're not getting better, you're not enjoying it. You know, it's cool to have all the B roll shots and make the real nice groups at hundred yards. But you know, at the end of the day, people getting better at the sport of archery and, and, and growing the community as a whole, that's my goal. So as, as uncool as the videos are and informative as they are, I really enjoy them. And, and I'm glad that people keep coming back to watch them. No. Yeah. I, Going along his point, I like them because they're short to the point. You get your point across. And I mean, I watch them or listen to them. Some of them I just listen to at work when I'm trying to do stuff on my computer. I can just listen to it in the background and still still learn from it without without even seeing some of it. So that's as I like I like listening to them. My poor wife's going to hear you say that uh, that the videos are short, and she's going to tell you that I'm incredibly long-winded. That is a huge yeah, lie. Those, as compared to some <laughs> other videos, you're, you're well descriptive. Yeah, Maybe, is that the word? Yeah. <laughs> so Nate, you just posted a video. Uh oh, we're getting a little bit of cutout here. You got us there, Nate. I do. You got me. There we go. There we go. Okay. So. Anyway, um, you posted a video um, about the recent announcement. Um, I think you know which video I'm talking about. Your recent announcement about uh, starting up your own retail space. And you got to mention that. So, um, you know, floor is yours. You know, I'm so anxious to hear about this next step. So it sounds like things have been busy in uh, in your neck of the woods. Yeah, it's been it's been real hectic. Um, so we, you know, like I said, we've been doing this seven years and I, seven years ago, I never even imagined that I would be a small business owner or, or that, you know, average Jack Archer would be a business. And I decided to just make videos on YouTube and starting kind of summer of last year, my wife and I kind of looking at each other and was like, yeah, we should start a shop, you know, like actually think about it. And then Thanksgiving rolled around and we're like, no, we should really start looking into like actually doing a shop like that. You know, this is kind of, you know, post COVID uh, mayhem, you know, stuff's kind of coming out in the woodwork. looks like it's possible. And we've had a lot of shops in our area here in rural PA, which is mind blowing to me with the number of archers and bow hunters that are in central PA area. We've got a lot of shops closed and whether they're for lack of good management, uh, lack of workflow, uh, poor monetary sessions. I don't know why they've closed, but there's been a lot of closers. And so a lot of people have been traveling hours to find a reputable bow shop. Mm. And so we were like, well, there's kind of a, a void to fill. Um, and there are very few educated people when it comes to the, you know, working on a bow nowadays, there's so many different bows and the little ins and outs and intricacies of everything. And so around the Christmas time, we kind of had found uh, a building, uh, a revitalization group in a, in a town called Phillipsburg, which is not too far from where I live. Yeah. And it's on a, on a highway that's just a two-lane highway, but it's one of the most traveled two-lane highways. For those of you that live in Pennsylvania, 322 or Interstate 99, it's one of the most traveled highways in the central, central part of the state, if not the whole state. And it just makes perfect sense to put a bow shop there because there is not a single bow shop on the stretch of uh, for almost an hour and a half, two hours in north south on that on that. And there's thousands of people. Penn State University is about a half hour away. Um, the student population, if they're into the archery, I mean, there's just a lot of positives. 
And so around the Christmas time, January, uh, turn of the 2022, we found the building and as part of our revitalization group, uh, the price to lease, we're not buying the building, the price to lease was, was, was really good. Uh, the space is huge for what we need. Uh, we're gonna have a 16,000 square foot retail space, uh, 16,000 square foot range space. It's gonna be about six to eight lanes. We haven't figured out the exact dimensions of what we can and cannot block off in the range area for access downstairs due to fire code, but about six to eight lanes, 20 yards downstairs, and then we'll have the 1600 square foot retail space. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's really cool. We're just in the absolute getting stock and putting ducks in a row and finding slat board and pegboard and, uh, you know, the point of sale system and building the benches, getting a new press. You know, my, I have a last chance to use a green that I keep here at the house, but it's not going to be enough to do crossbows. It's not strong enough for that. So kind of upgrading some of those components and, um, you know, basically the, the company that we're working with, the, the organization, the revitalization group, is going to give us a nice, clean, empty rectangular prism, big, long rectangle. We got to fill it. And so we've been, uh, we've been working on, you know, how we're going to display things with the best ethical way, or I shouldn't say ethical way, but the most responsive way and responsible way for a retail space to display things. So it looks good. Um, uh, which I'm not that kind of person. I'm like, here's a bow, you know, shoot it. Uh, my wife is very thankfully helping me out with that. So yeah, we're, we're just, we're, we're knee deep in it right now. Our plan is to open our doors July 1st. Um, but uh, hopefully we will get some, and I probably, uh, I'll say it on air. We're going to get the, the shop opened up beforehand uh, to get some bow maintenance done. We won't have all of our stock available to us until July 1st, okay. uh, but the range itself, uh, the uh, ability to ha hold lessons for those people that actually want to have in-person lessons so I can stop doing lessons <laughs> over the internet. Um, and the ability to also do bow maintenance and crossbow maintenance, string cable change, peep rotation, setting up bows and stuff. We just won't have the full retail available to us until July 1st. So yeah, we're, we're, we are all hands on deck, thousand miles an hour. Um, but it's, it's going along as well as we could hope right now. That's awesome. Fantastic. So, um, you, uh, you're still planning on continuing your career as a, as a teacher and um starting this uh new journey um touch base a little bit on how you are planning in your mind right now to kind of balance um those two things at the same time you know you're um a father um a husband and all those stuff like that's going to be kind of a fun task to do it's something you'll be able to accomplish but um just, just kind of shed light on what your game plan is for this 2022 season. Yeah. So basically I'm going to have to give up something. Right. Uh, and it's most likely going to be hunting time. Uh, <laughs> but the, the, the big push will be during the summer. Of course, everybody gets their bow worked on from like June to September. That's the big push. And I've worked in an archery shop for, for several years now. So I see the flow, um, to see the flow of it, you know, as a, as a part-time employee, you know, I'm needed mostly to help fill the void June, July, August, September. Uh, and then basically from like pretty much right after Thanksgiving, that Black Friday time, December through March, not much happened. So the, the plan is to be all hands on deck. I'll be off during the summers uh, as a teacher. Uh, so we'll be able to hold like a quote unquote normal, you know, business hours, 40 hour work week, if not a little bit more during the summer in the peak times. And then when school ramps up back up to get beginning of August or end of August, beginning of September, uh, shorten the hours, a couple evenings a week. Uh, and then, you know, a Saturday or Sunday type schedule to allow people to come in. And then, you know, I doubt we would adjust the hours even further. Uh, but yeah, it'd be a much shortened time during the quote unquote off season 
uh, then all hands on deck during the late spring and through the summer. Certainly, certainly. I want to kind of take a step back. Um, you know, you, we talked about how the average jack got started, but I mean, you, your, your level of detail in your videos kind of went through this evolution process and, and what you were talking about and what you were helping people with, um, you know, some of that has to do with probably the evolution of average jack archery and your learning process. But, um, I've kind of hinted in some of your videos that you're trying to address things that maybe you see as maybe not a good thing for people to learn because there's so much information on YouTube and at the hands of people. And sometimes it's not always um, the best information or it's taken out of context. And I kind of get that vibe a little bit from some of those videos. Do you want to kind of touch base on that a little bit and talk about how that process has gone for you and, and your goal in helping people? Yeah, that's, it's an interesting, you bring that up. Not very many people ask you that question or at least kind of hint that like, Hey, Nate, you seem kind of miffed. <laughs> uh, and you're, and you're right. It's, it's definitely a, a miffed feeling. Um, I mean, I think anybody that would be a professional in their job. Now, I, I, there's no professional in my job. I'm an archery YouTuber, right? I'm a bow technician. There's no real professional. There's just guys who knows what they're doing and have done it for a long time. And there are guys that might be also really good at their doing, but they've done it for a short time. And there are guys that have done it for 20 years and still don't know what they're doing. Um, I'm definitely in the, you know, I've been doing this almost 20 years. Uh, I've worked out, I couldn't even tell you how many hundreds of thousands of different bows and styles and all different archers from, you know, ladies with a 22 inch draw length with a double jointed elbow to guys that are taller than me that are shooting a 33 inch draw length and 80 pounds. You know, I, I've worked on it all. And so when you do all that and you find a system that truly works and you can really get strong results with a lot of things and positive results for like 90 plus percent of the people that I work with and I work around and I help you know, every time in the shop or in my own shop here in the basement, when you get other people that are like, nah, you should try this thing, you know, that you've been doing for like a year or two. And all of a sudden, all of the 20 or 30 or 40 years of experience, and I'm talking guys like Tim Gillingham and Joel Maxfield and Bill Winky and um, uh, uh, Tom Miranda, who shot every game species on this. Nobody even knows who Tom Miranda is. The guy has killed more animals with a muzzy 125 than you and I have hairs on our head and with aluminums, you know, shooting fingers, you know, for Pete's sake. And people completely forget these absolute monarchs that have been doing this type of stuff, not paid for most of it, um, that their success story. And so, I, you know, I, I spend a lot of my time now instead of helping people from scratch, I help pick up the broken pieces or the stuff that they've already boogered up and fix it and turn it right if they just come to the right person the first time. Um, and so that's where a lot of my stuff now is geared toward is like, hey, have you screwed up? Because I'm here to help. Um, it kind of started off with like, let's start together. But now a lot of people hit 17 different YouTube channels or 17 different Facebook and Instagram story posts and this type of thing. And you don't really know who's been doing it a long time, who hasn't, who really knows what they're talking about. And I'll admit, I'm learning new stuff every single day. Um, that's, and that's the truth. People say that, but I'm genuinely learning new stuff every single day. And so to, to be a steward of that way and to try so many different bows and arrows and, and releases and draw cycle styles and everything else, 
is now a lot of my stuff is focused on helping people if they've already kind of dug themselves in a rut more than if they're just starting from scratch. So much of archery is um, style-based. I mean, we've got, um, there's a lot of archery things that are foundational-based and you try to establish that foundation, but then there's a lot of avenues of um, style to go down. Um, The example I'll give, one of the things that I've really found helps me in the archery woods I have converted the past, I would, I want to say somewhere in the past five, six years, I've been shooting a <clears throat> Scott Longhorn Hunter hinge release 100% of the time. Um, I use it in any time I'm shooting target. I shoot, shoot it when I'm hunting. Um, it's just become that release that feels really comfortable to me. And it's the release that when I'm under pressure, I shoot the best. So, you know, you can translate that to almost anything in the sense that you got to do what is going to work for you as long as you've got those foundational principles correct. And I'm sure you're going to have it as the shop progresses and you've probably already had it in your 20 years of experience, but people that watch a YouTube channel and they're going to learn somebody's style and then they want to go to average jack archery and say, hey, why don't you do this to my bow? Or why don't you try this? Or I want to try this type of tuning to my bow. And that might not be Nate Seller's style, um, even though that works. But um, this is the direction that Nate would take you and, you know, kind of lean on you for that. <clears throat> yeah, and I have I have a, a different perspective than a lot of the people like Chris B, John Dudley, uh, John for a while, but like uh, Travis T-Bone Turner, you know, from Bone Collector, he and I have a lot of the same in common because he ran an archery shop for 30 years, Okay, right? We see the industry side of things. Like you can come to me like, hey, listen, let's say I want to, I want to build an arrow that looks like this. And I'm going to go, cool. I don't have that, right? I don't stock that. That's not a thing I usually can help you with. Now I can order it for you, but now you got to come back two weeks later, whatever it may be. But I do have this option. I can build it right now in front of you, like we're at Subway, and I can help you tune this thing right now. Like I have that ability to do that. But a lot of people don't want to do that anymore. They they already have their mindset, like you said, they have their mindset of I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this release, I'm gonna hold the bow this way, I'm gonna shoot this draw length, I'm gonna try this poundage, and you're not you're not gonna remove me from that particular thing. Uh, right now, I'm trying 67 pounds. Um, I haven't shot over 60 pounds and I, gosh, I don't even want to think 15 years. Maybe I haven't shot over 60 pounds. Um, if ever actually shot over 60 pounds, I'm trying it just, just to see, just to see if it would be better for me. Um, right now it's not turning out to be better for me, but you know, like uprooting myself from what I think is going to be the thing I need to do. You know, maybe you do need to shorten your draw length by a half inch. Maybe you do need to try a different release. Um, it's, you know, I don't try, I don't want to try to upset the apple cart for people, but there are more things, more variables in archery than there is in almost any other shooting sport. And so you can tweak one of them and it could change the whole thing. And that's what people, people get very fixated on just the bow or just fixated on the arrow, but they got to remember that the monkey behind it has 10 fingers, two arms, multiple wrist joints, face pressure, grip pressure, your brain starts screwing with you. And there's way more variables there that need to be trained and worked on and fixed than just, I'm going to try this broadhead. I'm going to try this arrow. I'm going to try this bow poundage. Yeah. I always, uh, I, I don't necessarily work for a bow shop around here, but I help them out when they need help during shows and on the weekends and everything like that. And, uh, when I'm 
working with customers, well, kind of two things. Number one, kind of along the same lines is everyone has their own theory and there'll be two buddies come up to the stand or come up to the booth and one will be like, oh, this is a nice air. I've heard good things about it. Then the buddy next one will be like, oh, those are horrible. Those are horrible. And it's just like, yeah. all right, they all work. They're all going to work. Um, but the other thing is just uh, just trying to, to work with the guys who just truly have questions and want to learn more about it is a lot better than the guys who come up and think they're, they're know-it-alls and think they know what they want. And I always try to explain to more so my buddies who are just getting into archery. Uh, it really doesn't matter if you buy the $2,000 bow or the $600 bow, if you're doing the right things, practicing, doing the same thing every time, the consistency that you can be just as good as a, of an archer as someone with all the expensive stuff, if they're not doing the right things. So I really try to try to teach those guys, let those guys, uh, try to figure that out and like you gotta like just like anything it's consistency it's practice it's consistency it's practice and like the two there there are three kinds of customers that like or three kinds of archers there are people that are like i don't really know what i'm doing i would like to learn different things and see what works for me then there are guys that are like i'm pretty sure this is what i'm going to do but i'm going to ask you 50 questions and then no matter what you say i'm going to do what i want to do in the first yeah, place exactly and then there's exactly. a third guy who's like i want that put that in my shopping cart Okay. And you, and, and I would rather work with number one or number three. I, yep. you either, I want you to tell me what you want and I will do that thing, whether I agree with you or not, or I, or on the other end of the spectrum, I need help. I don't really know what I'm doing, or maybe I'm trying this thing. And it's just not working out. Can you make it better? Um, I, I had that happen with, with the guy, uh, at the, I was shooting, like I was just shooting. I was down. There wasn't even for a lesson or teaching. I was down shooting at the range. And a guy's sitting there shooting and he's, he's grouping like a couple inches high and a couple inches to the right. So we moved to site and uh, he was still shooting to the right. I moved to site. He didn't move. And I was like, Hey, we're, well, we're going to try something with your grip. We're going to put a little pressure on this side of the grip. And dad got at the first air, just freaking pinwheeled it. And he looks at me like, Oh my gosh, I've been shooting right this whole time. I've been moving my sight over this, that, and the other thing. And I said, I know it's just a little grip change. He's like, wow, that's cool. Love working with those kind of people. Those kind of people are like, that's that little tweak that just changed his day. Um, so yeah, it, it's, I want people to discover it for themselves, but there is a time where like, you just gotta be like, Hey, listen, we got to try this one thing out and at least see if it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. One thing I think the three of us have in common is we, we like to help people whenever we feel we're in a position that we can help somebody. And one of the things that I struggle with is I forget the chronological progression that I've personally gone through all the struggles I've had of learning to get to wherever I'm at in my hunting, in my archery, um, you know, et cetera, and so on and so forth. Um, so can you kind of talk to me and give me advice? How do I try, or, or how do you maybe try to scale back, dumb it down, like do such a good job in explaining things step-by-step whether that's for um, something archery shooting related or just something hunting related, you know, there's things that I think is just like automatic knowledge and they're really not. They're just things that it's just become so innate to me that I just assume it is. And it's not like wind direction, like understanding like that, like that, that blows my mind when people don't think about wind or like, I'll be sick. I can't, I can't go into the woods 
Like I can't just walk in the woods with my kids and not go, I wonder where the closest white oak is. You know, I can't do that. I have to be, or like, oh, that tree would be really good on a Southwest wind. It's like, dad, we're in the middle of the park. Like there's a kid playing soccer right there. You're not, you're not, you're not hunting. Um, like that kind of stuff. But no, I, I think for me, I, I cheat because I work with kids in particular that in that 10, 11, 12 year old age bracket, they're in that fifth and sixth grade. So I kind of have a cheat. I think I have a, a better in with that than a lot of people um, because I'm used to dumbing English down or social studies or history lessons down into those finite things. And so, and a lot of those kids in that age bracket are also starting to hunt right now. So like we'll have discussions at school. They'll be like, yeah, we're building my tree stand and I'll ask them like, Oh, is there an Oak flat nearby? And they'll be like, I have no idea what that is. I'm like, well, let me tell you what an Oak flat is. And then I kind of think to myself, like when I'm doing a scouting video, I'm like, Hey, that 11 year old didn't get that. That 38 year old who's never hunted before probably is in the same mindset as that 11 year old kid who's brand, they're just brand new to it. And so I think there's a lot of that. I think I, 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 I miss some of the higher level quote unquote, higher level thinking stuff. Because I'm trying to, I don't want to say water it down, but kind of keep it as simple as possible in a, you know, in a video that isn't an hour long. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think I, I, I try to toe that line. Sometimes I definitely fall one way or the other, like the bear shaft tuning video, woo, that sucker's in the weeds. Um, and then there are certain, and then there are certain videos are like, oh my gosh, if he says shaft one more time, I'm going to jump off this chair. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, um it's kind of a fine line to toe, but I think because being a teacher and working with a lot of the younger age set kind of gives me a leg up and keeping it in simple chunks. Great. Great. You kind of touched on hunting. Um, looks like you had quite the hunting season this year. Um, you knocked, knocked quite a, not quite in a, PA. <laughs> well, no, but I mean, uh, I mean, you, you still brought some, you brought some meat home for the freezer. And you had, you killed your, your biggest buck to, to date or. Did, yeah. Out in Indiana. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, the videos, the videos that I watched, I noticed that there was definitely some frustration on a lot of that public land hunts, but you still were able to bring some meat home. Um, you got yeah. out on a, on a great trip to Indiana, to, you know, you know, key everybody in on your hunting season. You know, what was your, uh, what, what's your take on it now as we stand here in March of 22? Uh, it was tough. Also, don't self-film. That is a horrible experience. Like, don't film your hunts, kids. So does that mean uh, you're going to be done after that? No, no, I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> I, the thing, it's, it, is a, it is a give and take. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, when I watch like THP, you know, and they do these turkey tours or these deer tours and stuff like that, or any of the other YouTubes, like Chris B doing his stuff for or other channel, even the, even the simple videos, like, um, you know, big PA channel, uh, like Leatherwood Outdoors, John Royer and, and, and Shane Reed and, and, and Ryan Toth and all those guys, even their little simple five, six video. I know how much work it is to get cameras in the woods, get a camera guy, make sure your batteries, cards are cleared. Everything's there. Now the camera's cold. Now the camera's wet. Audio's crap. Got to edit it all. Like I get all of that. Um, and then when you do it by yourself, it like quadruples the problem. Um, but the, the ability to have that footage kind of forever is really cool. I will say that's really cool. And so I think for me, um, with the self image, it's gonna be really cool. When my kids get out in the woods with me, and that can be a permanent memory that I have with my two daughters. They're a little young yet, six and four. 
Uh, but we'll get them out here in the next year or two and try some turkey season when the weather's warm, maybe some early cross coast stuff. Um, but yeah, so PA, PA public, you know, we're PA guys. We understand that the, sometimes you're in it, sometimes you're not. And, and last year in PA was, was difficult. I was in it a lot. Um, I had a lot of encounters, not nothing within bow range of bucks here in PA, uh, but it was tough. I saw a lot more. I don't know about you guys. Uh, I saw a lot more rut activity last year. Well, this past fall, this past uh, 2021 fall than I had in a while. I saw a lot of tending. I saw a lot of lockdown. Um, I got, we were getting a lot of bucks on camera cruising all, all hours of the day, all through November. Um, so that was, that was cool. Uh, shot a doe in the early season, got that on, rolled her. That was fun. <laughs> yeah. He dumped her. She ducked oh my the shot gosh, a little that, bit. Yeah. She ducked a little bit. It was a lot of it. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, she ducked it, but it, it absolutely crushed her. That was a cool video. Um, but then, yeah, Indiana kind of being the saving grace in a lot of different ways. I filled the yeah, freezer. Yeah, let's talk about um, Indiana. That was a pretty cool trip. You were out there for a weekend. Uh, yeah, I went out there for two and a half days. It was like a. It was like a. I went out there on a Thursday after work. I left. It's like a six and change hour drive. I was up in Northeast Indiana. Um, good buddy Derek Craig, who's one of the R and D engineers for Magnus Broadheads. Uh, great friend has a YouTube channel, New Day Outdoors, and yep, he invites me out every year and. Um, so I, I went out and uh, I hunted all day Friday. We were in them and we saw we saw bucks. They just weren't coming into the the area. It's all private there. I was gonna you say know, it looked Indiana. like like a just a private farm you were hunting at in those videos. Yeah, yeah. Derek's uh, Derek has uh, family and friend access to a lot of acres, but I mean in Indiana, that northeast part, it is all ag. It is all ag, and so everything yeah. is hardwood draws. And if the corn is on, and those of you that hunt in the Midwest or in, in ag areas. If the corn is on, it's a very different ballgame, but the corn was off. So the only places these deer can be are in these hardwood draws or in these, you know, these big drainage islands that are out in the middle of these 800 acre cornfield type things that are already picked. And so we were basically just waiting for deer to move up this one draw while we sat there. Well, I sat there by myself for two days, uh, Friday and Saturday, and I'd seen a whole bunch of very nice bucks come out of this little drainage pond in the middle of this 800 acre cornfield and run into this other finger that immediately pretty much turns into uh, private owned by another landowner that we do not permission to hunt. So I had like a 20 yard window to whack a deer if bears came out. So Sunday morning, my last day there, I decided I took the saddle and uh, the Saturday night before we went up a tree, awful tree, vines everywhere, chip bark was terrible, made a set blind, uh, went in there the next morning. He came to like 25 yards. I mean, I couldn't have, he just ran right out of that drainage pond, came right across huge field just antlers everywhere chasing a hot doe ran right up to me whacked him he died on his feet running and that was a that was a wicked cool experience um you know i don't get to see chasing like we don't we don't get to see chasing across big fields like that you know up here in pa uh and particularly deer that size there you know he Derek was showing me pictures he's like yeah it's a pretty good size buck but i got this one and this one and this one i'm like oh so i got the i got the run of the litter but um <laughs> we didn't score but he ended up probably somewhere in the in the low 130s would be my guess still a very nice deer absolutely there was uh there was some raw emotion in that video we don't normally get to see oh i lost my bananas man i was <laughs> <laughs> i i i mean because like that like when i get to, usually in pa at least the spots that i'm in it's so quick the deer in they're in the funnel the shot happens less than 30 seconds later. Like you don't have time to get worked up. I sat there and watched that deer for probably four or five minutes, just huge antlers, 
running back and forth, lost the set of dough. Maybe he comes in, maybe he doesn't. And then I got it on camera. And that was the part that wigged me out the most was that I got, I knew I got him on camera. I knew that I had the camera point. I was like, I got that shot. Like that, that was so unreal. It was only the second deer ever I shot on camera by myself. And so there was that. And then just, I always lose my stuff whenever I shoot a deer, but that one being that big and, and having to watch them come in like that, that made it super special. Yeah. Watching the arrow where it hit, watching the arrow where it hit and the, uh, the sound of the arrow where, where it impacted, um, it, it definitely seemed like that was a great shot and, you know, no problems there. Yeah. Um, thankfully. Yeah. Thankfully we, in, in real time, I thought I dead center livered him. Yeah. I thought I dead center. And I can see him. why you would say that because of the, the camera angle, you could even see it. Yeah. Yeah, but then we go back and watched it, and Derek, we, we, he's like, okay, we'll give it like six, you know, five, six, seven, eight hours, see what we got. You have time to make back to PA today for work tomorrow. And then we, we, we go back, and we played it in slow-mo, and we're like, that deer's dead. Yeah. <laughs> he's dead. Yeah. <laughs> so there's two, there, there's kind of a, a two-part question I have. So, like, um, you, you know, you hunted um, Indiana, and Colt, totally different ball game, what you're kind of used to, you know, it was more flat, maybe kind of slightly gradual rolling Hills, big ag country and, uh, you know, a lot more funnels compared to what you're used to. So um, the first part of my question is, um, was there anything that you took from that hunt that you can relate back to the, the bigger woods, the, you know, bigger mountainous um, type habitats that you're used to hunting public land, and the second part to that question is um, the mobility aspect of it. You know, you were mobile and moving from point A to point B and ended up tagging that deer on your last day. Um, do, you, uh, do you attribute that success solely to that saddle? Or um, could, do you think you could have been in that same situation um, with another means? It's just that's what you're, you're using in that rig right now. So I'll answer the second part first. Um, I attribute it to being mobile more than anything, but I will say, and we're here in PA, you can get away with being mobile in PA with a climber because we have a lot of closed canopy, straight freaking trees. Yeah. No branches for 60 feet in the air. If you're in the Midwest, you got all these brushy, gnarly Creek bottom tree. There wasn't a single straight tree. The tree that I was ending up in wasn't even straight. It was about, barrel chested tree barely could get my platform strap around it chip bark vines everywhere i had like three shooting lanes um and so it, it was it was a combination of being mobile you could have done what i did with the hang on with the exception of in the video before i shoot the buck there's a spike that comes in and i'm moving the can i'm behind the tree this the tree is between and it's big tree like i said i'm a big guy six four two fifteen and this bike is, is on the other side of me and the tree. And I move the camera. He picks off that camera movement. You watch him. He just, he does the whole head bobby thing up and down. But I'm hiding my entire six foot four frames behind this tree. And he eventually does, he doesn't blow. He doesn't really wig off. And he just kind of walks away. If I had been on the other side of the tree in the hang on, he would have seen me. I mean, it would have been over. Who knows if he blows? Who knows if he scares off everything else? Who knows what he does? So I will say that the saddle from being the perspective of the direction I'm facing, which is the tree and the direction of the deer, I was able to play hide and seek with it. Did that save the hunt? I don't know. I'm going to say it definitely didn't uh, hurt. 
Um, so I will say it's more of a being mobile thing in PA and other, you know, Northeastern areas where you have big straight trees, you can get away with that, but you still have to sit on the side of the tree to face the animal. And I'm a big guy. I've always struggled with, do I move? I shot a lot of deer sitting down because I've been too afraid to stand up and just be right. this huge thing next to the tree. So being as being in the saddle, I can hide behind the tree, even a smaller tree, it just breaks your silhouette enough. Um, so I, I'll, I'll kind of answer that in, in that way. Um, in terms of the first one, in, in terms of, you know, the deer in the, in the Midwest or in that portion of the Midwest versus the Northeast, I mean, they still are ma majorly focused on the bedding. It's all about the bedding because they have to have that security. Um, if you watch the videos there where I was hunting, I was right along, I think it's the I-95 or I-69 corridor, whatever it is. You can just hear cars screaming in the background, screaming in the background. And, but those deer do not go until that place calms down. I mean, they live with it. They live with that noise 24-7, but it's still not secure until it dies down a little bit and it's dark. And they can move there without being 24-7 in the daylight. So the ability to have security cover, the ability to have the bedding was still huge because that's exactly where those bucks were pushing those does. Bedding area to bedding area, which is no different than what we see here in PA. We just see it on a much larger scale because everything's timber, mountain laurels, brushy. They could bed just about anywhere. So it's, it's a little bit different there. There's less hot pockets as there was there in ag country, but a lot of similarities otherwise. Gotcha. I want to touch base a little bit on kind of the area you were hunting in Pennsylvania this year. Um, you were, uh, you were, uh, I mean, not to give away specific locations, obviously, but you know, on that bigger scale, um, there weren't any some deer of the there. Features... You can give it away. <laughs> <laughs> what were you, what were some of those, those features that you were keen in? Cause you did a bunch of scouting videos this year, um, leading into hunting season, some mid scouting, um, kind of just breeze through what your, uh, your, your strategy was. I mean, you didn't connect with the buck, but you were in the game. Yeah, there's a lot. Uh, so my general brain, this goes back to what we were talking about earlier about, you know, how do we simplify this to break it down as the season moves? I go from food source to travel locations to strict bedding. So in the beginning of the season, that early season, it's all about the food source, right? And sitting as close to it, particularly white, acre, or white oak acorn flat as you can. If reds are the hot ones in the area, then reds are the hot ones in the area. Um, if you can find a good travel corridor, a good trail, you know, a good uh, topographic saddle or a big point that comes down, those are the kind of things I'm focusing on. Big topo shifts that push into food because it's a good chance they're going to be not too far away. And most of the time, I'm, I'm, a lot of us are chasing does there in that early season. So you're really focused on food and, and you'll see, you'll find some gear. Then towards the middle of the season, when you start getting towards that rut, you start getting bucks that are cruising ridge lines. And I'm looking towards topography. I'm starting to shy away from the food. You'll still find does in the food, obviously, but bucks starting to get up on their feet during daylight hours. And they're going to move on their topo lines. They're going to move on their pinch points. They're going to move on funnels. They're going to move on topographic saddles and big knobs and high points. When I start to focus on those a little bit more, I see fewer deer, but then the interactions that I have are more usually in quality. I'm starting to come run into more bucks and the bucks are usually bigger than maybe the spike or fourties or little sixes that I'll see on the food sources in the early season. Uh, and then as we progress towards the, 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 the peak of the rut where does are really starting to breed with the bucks, I'm right on the bedding. I mean, I'm hugged. In. If I can get into the bedding area, I will go into the bedding area. And I mean, I'm talking thick, nasty, I might only see two deer in a day sit, but when I do, I'm going to see them for like two hours 
is it'll be a buck tending a doe and they will come into that bedding area and she'll just move and he'll move with her. And usually that's the pick of the litter. Usually it's the nicest doe of the litter, if you will, and the biggest buck in the area is going to be with her. And if it's not the biggest buck, the biggest buck will show up because <laughs> he's going to want to kick off the run that's in the bedding area with the hot doe and so on and so forth. So we we go from food to to travel areas to bedding and we go from a lot of deer to a good amount of deer to a small amount of deer but the quality of the bucks at least that you start seeing really starts to pick up the further you move down doesn't mean you can't see a big nice buck at the beginning of the season or just scrubs in the end of it but that's kind of the the mentality i have to break it down in those chunks you brought up a good point Uh, you're talking about watching topography lines and kind of travel corridors transitions um i hunt a lot of big woods in pennsylvania you know Robbie and I kind of hunt in uh, Lycoming, Tioga County area, some big woods, public land, uh, state forest areas. That's, and big, I can, that's big boy public land there. That is big boy public land. So a um, little bit different than you, but at the same time, there's some, some parallels. And, um, and I can relate that you have sections of woods that, okay, this is definitely going to be a funnel between this chop off and this chop off, and I'm going to hunt this. But I always struggle, um, and I think we all do, struggle with that concept of really um, narrowing down which tree. Um, you know, you, you obviously, you know, you're, you're in the same boat as me working on that all the time, too, trying to narrow in, okay, here's this travel corridor, but when, when you hear travel corridor in mainstream media, you think about the Midwest and those na- narrow corridors that you can hunt, and a corridor in the, the woods that you and I are hunting and a lot of our listeners are probably hunting a corridor could be a hundred yards or 75, if not yards, more, if yeah. not more. Um, so, you know, this year you said you saw some bucks moving through those corridors. You didn't, uh, didn't have the opportunity to connect. Um, is there anything that you would have done differently to try to hone in on those specific locations where you saw deer moving or, you know, what's your take on that as far as like honing in on those corridors that you were trying to capitalize on? Right. It's tough. I mean, in particular, if you get into a corridor where the wind direction works out for this end or this end and one end is 75 yards away from the other end. In gun season, you're like, oh, this would be great. Uh, but with a bow in your hand, you're, you're up the creek without a paddle. Um, all the bucks that I came across this year, I zigged and they zagged. I mean, I was in there. I was, you know, most, I, I didn't encounter any towards the, the major part of lockdown where I was like sitting in bedding. I had very little interaction with them in the bedding this year in PA. I did there in Indiana, but not in PA. Um, but in the travel areas, man, I mean, I'm sitting there and all of a sudden I hear, yeah, hear the grunts and whatnot. And here he comes and he's got to deal with him and they're 50 yards away. And that's just, that's just out of range. And it is, and I would have shot him. I would have shot him every which way to Tuesday. It was a beautiful eight point, big, probably 110, 120s, which is a great deer for PA. Absolutely. And, um, and so, you know, that's just, you know, should I have gone to that other tree? Was there anything that led me to believe that the other end of that would have been better? No, you know, because either end is the bedding and I'm sitting, you know, picture like a dumbbell. I'm sitting in the dumbbell in the handle of the dumbbell bedding is on either end of the dumbbell and I'm in the middle and one side of the middle just so happens to be 75 yards away from the other. And I can't cover it all. And if you sit in the middle, you're going to blow it one way or the other. So you might as well pick it in. And, um, so I picked an end and he came out the other end. It just, it just is what it is. And the other, the other tough thing too, that um, 
a lot of us struggle. It's like, okay, well, you know, tomorrow I'll do that. Well, tomorrow I have work. <laughs> that's, you know, that's, it, you, you and guys both. do. That's what I'm saying. Like, that's, that's the tough part that I think a lot of people need to understand too. Like you can, there's a lot of discouragement. I've, I've had a lot of discouraged people message me. Oh, you know, I really put in the time. I had like 10, 15 sits this year and I saw some deer, but I couldn't connect. I, mean, I hate to tell you, that's a pretty solid PA season, New York season, Northeast Ohio season, mountainous West Virginia season. If you're new and you still make the rookie mistakes that kind of ruin a hunt, that we don't know ruin a hunt until we're like 10 years into this, um, like those type of things, eventually you'll still get to a point where you're 15, 20, 30, 40 years into this and you pick one side and he comes out the other, there's nothing you can do about it. That's not a rookie mistake. That's not anybody's fault. It's just I have to accept that you know, if I did what I was supposed to do and it just didn't happen, it just didn't happen. It's not like the Midwest where those drainages are 20 yards wide and you can just pick your poison or those creek crossings where you just have tracks there. They just don't exist out here. Um, and it's really hard to really funnel in deer to a food to a point that that's that finite. You just have to accept it. Sometimes it's a hard pill to swallow. It's a huge pill. When they say horse pill, they're not kidding. It's like a whole set of antlers you're trying to swallow. <laughs> Do you have any questions for Nate? Uh, well, a lot of my questions, I think, uh, relate more to the gear aspect of it, bows and arrows and everything. I, When I'm helping the, uh, the bow shop out, I do a lot of the arrow sales and everything, so I I found that really interesting. And then I'm always in the in the in the realm of trying to find a new bow for myself. I just can't pick which one. I'm a big aesthetics yeah. guy, but I know that doesn't kill the deer. Um, and uh, so, I guess my question is: with when it comes to arrows, just say um, I know you had a few. You have a whole pile of arrow videos and uh, heavy, light target ones, uh, hunting ones. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess my question would be what in your mind do you get what you pay for, I guess is the simplest way to put it in the grand scheme of things. Uh, mostly hunting related because I'm the biggest hunter. And I think a lot of, a lot of people listening to this are big hunters. I know we have some target shooters, but uh, do you get what you pay for when it comes to not only arrows, but, but gear itself uh, releases yeah. bows. No, I get that question all the time because there'll be guys that come in, you know, and I'm, and I'm looking at price in my own stock, my own shop right now. They're like, well, what's the difference between the $25 release and the $75 release? And I'm like, ah, you know, I mean, like, you know, there are certain things that there is no difference, right? So, so what is it? Um, predominantly, what I tell people in when it comes to things is in the heat of the moment, do you want to put yourself in the, I got it on a budget but I also need to kill this deer right now. Like you've put nine months into practice for this 30 second interaction with this whitetail or this turkey or this one shot at the range that's going to get you the X to win the tournament. Do you want that on the, I got it on a budget moment and we're okay. Or do you want, no, I have really high quality strings or bow limbs or arrows or knocks or broadheads or whatever it may be. And I think you can, you can kind of toe the line. I think hunting has way more leeway than target. Um, uh, you know, there's a lot more, particularly with the arrows, there's a lot of really high quality, cheap arrows out there. 
I mean, from every manufacturer, every manufacturer makes a really quality, durable, cheap carbon arrow that really, I mean, can kill anything on the North American or European or Asiatic continent or African continent. Um, And so those things I didn't get away with, but they're just, there are certain times where I'm like, dude, I would, I would spend the extra eight bucks for that nicer pack of broadheads with thicker blades. Or, you know, I would just spend this extra $150 and get this bow that has better strings because you're going to spend $150 to replace them in six months anyway. So there are, there are gives and takes, but it's, it's so user specific. You know, are you going to use it a bunch? What are you hunting? How much you going to, you know, how much you going to, uh, you know, are you going to, are you going to try to upgrade soon, you know, type thing. But I will agree. You do pay for you. You do get what you pay for a lot of ways. I think hunting areas, you get a little bit more leeway. Um, but there's a lot of things you just can't cut. I would personally not cut corners on. Well, I think there's a pretty good parallel there. Cause you talked about hunting over target, but there's a, there's a, there's definitely a push in hunting, hunting media industry, whatever you want to call it, that is pushing, um, target archery aspects into hunting, which isn't a bad thing, but, um, there's, uh, there, there's, there's probably some, I don't know if a prerequisite is the right word. There's probably some things to like disclaimer before you go into that. I mean, obviously an experience level is something to do, but you know, the, that higher quality stuff, if you're going to be taking those longer range shots or, or something like that. Obviously, if, if we can check off the, the, you know, the variables that are human related, you know, equipment is probably something that maybe you're going to take into consideration next there. Yeah. Well, and, and, and uh, you know, this is, I'm going to get flack for this, but I hate tack events. Uh, and the reason is, is because people are focused. They're so focused. I need to build an arrow that shoots 120 yards. Okay. Can you make a golf ball size group of 30? Right. Can you do that? Can you right now step off your back porch and shoot a golf ball size group of 30? If the answer is no, in my humble <laughs> average Jack guy opinion, you shouldn't be farting worried about sh- shooting a Yeti in the foot of 120 yards. Why, why are you spending $200 on arrows for that? Yeah. So, you know, I'm going to get on my soapbox, but, but there are guys that you know, I'm doing that right now. I'm fielding a question a day. I want to build a tack arrow. And my first question is how do you shoot at 30 yards? I'm not trying to be rude. And they show me, and it's a good group, six inches, right? That's great. That's minute of whitetail, right? That's minute of angle whitetail in the Northeast woods is six inches. That is, that's six feet at 120 yards, right? So, you know, kind of putting the cart before the horse there, I would love to see more people attend their local 3D courses and that type of stuff and just pound the crap out of 11 and 12 rings, which are only about an inch and a half across. And absolutely, no, okay, they step into a target. That's 22 yards away. They hold a pin for 22, and they absolutely laser that sucker. I would love to see that happen. I would love to see more people do that than go and feel like they need to say, I mean, if you want to go and have fun, I all, all power to you. But don't don't uh, kid yourself that you're going to start slinging arrows 60, 70 yards of whitetails. It's just not going to happen. It's just not. No, no I think you said it. The best thing you said there was uh, when you said, you got to, someone's got to ask themselves, what are they using the gear for? Are they, a lot of times at the shows, I say, hey, what they're looking for arrows. Hey, what are you, what are you hunting? And you get any answer, but some answers will say, oh, we don't hunt, we just shoot. Well, you shouldn't be looking at the $240 uh, per exactly dozen right. arrows. It, let, let me lead you another way. 
or if some people say, oh, we're going out west where we're hunting elk, going to be 80-yard shots, well, let's lead you to a little bit of a lighter arrow that you can like uh, confidently make that shot. Or if you're right. in the, some, some, uh, some private land here in Pennsylvania where it's just thick as can be, you might need that heavier that heavier air that can pound through some stuff to be able to hit that deer. So I think, like you said, it's definitely what are you using the gear for? And that will kind of determine not only what you need to go with, but how much you should, you should spend on it. Yeah. And the number of guys that are like, Oh, I want maybe I'll hunt elk with this arrow. Yeah. Come on, man. Come on. Like the number of guys are like, Oh, I'm going to hunt elk with this or maybe, or I'm looking to draw an elk tag or something. I'm like, okay, buy those arrows when it, when you get the elk when tag. Get the elk tag. Yep, exactly. When you get the elk tag. Cause I'm telling you right now, I mean the, the $200 arrows, hit just as hard as the $60 arrows, man. I've oh, done it. I've oh, blown yeah. through whitetails, man. I mean, it's just, it is, it is what it is. And like, I, I understand people, I, I get it just as much as anybody else. I want to play with new stuff too. It's all well and good, but you know, I have the luxury that I work in the industry and I can, you know, and I, I get a lot of stuff to work on in that type of stuff. Um, but for the average guy who's going to go bow hunt six to 10 times a year, pick his bow up in July, maybe to start practicing with, save your money man and oh, yeah. and and focus on your form and your practice and execution and really be hammering shots at 30 35 yards yeah. i really struggle with the arrow thing um not necessarily which arrow do i shoot i mean i'm pretty comfortable in what i've chosen and for the reasons i choose but along this the you know the along the lines of the weight weight distribution uh you did a bunch of videos on that now and uh you know we've got you know more youtube uh, more information out there about why a heavier arrow why forward to center why this why that and i really struggle with that um because the foundations of bow hunting that i was brought up upon would be number one take ethical shots um distance is ethical um, based on person to person, but, you know, let's say most people that's within 30 yards. Um, the other aspect of ethical would be, you know, clear shots, no brush, open, open lanes. Um, but the big one that is really controversial, and I'm not sure how to, how I, you know, go into this easy is shot angle. Um, I pretty much try to make my decisions that um, it's broadside or quartering away on an archery shot. And, and I try not to take anything other than that. Um, if I take a quartering towards shot, I want to know that the vitals that are presented to me are um, I, I'm able to get both lungs in that shot. Um, and I, I, my, here's my fear. When, when you have this heavy arrow talk, um, and taking those different shot angles, I'm really fearful that people believe they're able to break through humerus and joint bones. Um, I don't have enough experience to know if you have the right hour setup, can it happen? Um, even if it could, what, I, what I'm fearful of is that um, the lack of knowledge, that lack of context is going to cause some misguidance in shot placement in and sh- the shots they take on on game i mean what are your thoughts because i mean you've you've kind of you know spewed your thoughts on, on that in a couple of videos too the scariest truly the scariest thing for me is the if you have killed less than 
three whitetails and you think all of a sudden you now can do this shot angle situation that you're describing you know if you've been bow hunting 10 15 20 years you know you've killed i don't know four five six ten animal 20 animals whatever the number may be and you want to try something like this you have gotten to a point in your bow hunting career where you have lost animals you have had poor penetration on animals for whatever reason maybe you shot a mechanical that was too big maybe you had you hit it in the spine uh maybe your bow hit your you know your bow hit your tree stand you didn't get all the power into the cam and it kind of half whatever you've been there you've experienced this you know the assumed risk of shooting a deer between the neck and the scapula in the front you know the assumed risk because you've been doing this you understand what it's like to lose an animal what scares the crap out of me is the people that have been bow hunting for less than five years or even their first or second year and they're like yeah i, I want to be prepared for that shot and i'm like you need to prepare for the broadside shot homie i mean have you ever put a pin behind the shoulder or in the vital v of a white tail and squeeze it off and watch to blow through no okay then you 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 should not be trying to build anything for plan b if you've never executed quote unquote plan a right yeah. i that's yeah. this that 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 verbiage and that ideology scares the crap out of me because if you have never executed plan a why on god's green earth would you want to then try and think oh i could also execute plan b you just it scare it literally scares me to death. It absolutely scares me to death. Well, one of the biggest things that I think is so I struggle with the most is there are very experienced bow hunters that truly don't know the anatomy of a white-tailed deer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and that's that's like truly do not understand the shape, proportion, direction of bones, um, which bones connect where. Um, where certain vital organs are most susceptible, what shot angle, the aiming point in certain shot angles. Um, I'm going to be the first to admit when it comes to some of those um, less uh, less opportune shot angles, like uh, quartering towards facing, um, I struggle with that too. And I, it's not because I don't know where heart major artery major art geez i can't speak major arteries and lungs and stuff like that it's not that i don't know where they are is i have this um this this voice in my head saying i can't aim there because of bone um but yeah i mean you, you even talk about um with people who are willing to take that shot and you ask them where their aiming point should be and i disagree because um i understand the anatomy i have a, a biology background i have butcher my own deer so i try to pay attention to that stuff um and, and that's a that's a really hairy hairy area and we want to help people but at the same time it can get really like finger pointy like you're wrong i'm right kind of deal i, I hate i struggle with that yeah i i, I struggle with a lot of it because there's evidence that both work there's evidence that both failed you know and and so on and so forth so i i get it i as someone who's an educator, as someone who spends a lot of time helping other people from, again, going back to what we said at the beginning, helping other people unlearn the stuff that they've already learned, but they've never been able to execute before, like that kind of stuff. It's just, it scares me in a lot of different ways. Again, I couldn't tell you where to aim on a whitetail if it's cording towards me hard enough. You know, I've taken, I've killed deer cording towards me, but there is a point where your brain 
the longer you do this, the back side of your brain says, ah, uh, that's too much. That's too much. But if you don't, if you haven't been bow hunting long enough or gun hunting long enough, even, even with a gun, I shoot a 25 out six. It's not a, it's not a terrible deer caliber. That's going to blow through. But even with a gun and you're looking at it, you're like, mm, I probably shouldn't take that shot. You don't have that part of your conscious yet until you've sat there and watched animals in the woods and you're sitting there shaking violently going, I'm going to shoot this thing. I'm going to shoot this thing. If you've never experienced that before, then, then putting the cart before the horse by saying, I think I can make that shot. I would love to see you try. <laughs> it's just there's so many guys that just lose their bananas. You know, they can punch paper all day long. They're the king of their own backyard. Yeah. <laughs> they're the king. They're the, they're the king of their own backyard. And then as soon as they get a, a button buck in front of them, they they're gone. And that's cool because that's the experience in front of the thing. Right. But like, don't for a second think that. And it's, it's the same thing with the long arrow game. Oh, I got all this time. I'm shooting a group like, you know, a, a baseball-sized group at 70 yards. Wait till a doe is standing there or a buck is standing there. And you have 10 seconds to think about it and three seconds to get the shot off. Right. Good luck with your three-inch group at 70 yards. It's just not going to happen. Um, and so, yeah. <laughs> the The preparation you take is so important, but experience is something that you can't overlook either. You can't. Yeah. You just can't. You can't buy experience. You cannot fudge experience. You can't practice experience. You know, I mean, I we've both been, I mean, we both have probably double double digit whitetail harvest with a bow. Maybe and every single one of them, there are still times where I shoot something, I drill it, I watch it fall in sight, and I go, I hope it's dead. Like because you just they're just you know what I mean? Just like there are still times as a bow hunter, this spent 20 years in almost, where I go, I hope that worked out. I watched the lighted knock absolutely blow through the thing perfectly, but you're still like, I've been in that. I remember this doe, you know, whatever. I remember this deer back in 2018 when I shot, it was a perfect double lung hit. We never found it. Those videos are all over YouTube. They're right. all over YouTube. Perfect hits on camera. Everything's great. They never find it. Happens to everybody. And so to, to advocate for lesser than ideal shots and those perfect double long broadside hits, oh boy, it really, it really gets me scared. Yeah. Growing up, I think I'm, I was just drilled, drilled in my head so much broadside, broadside, broadside. I don't think anyone thinks other than broadside for me. I mean, I I've had buddies that shot quartering two and they got the book. My one buddy two years ago shot 145 inch buck and just quarter and two like crazy. He showed me where and I'm like, Holy cow, how did you make that shot? But like you said, preparation and experience doesn't matter how much you prepare. You need that experience. Like to me, two years ago, I had a good buck in front of me at 42 yards and all summer I was shooting 60, 70 yards and hitting where I wanted to hit. But in the woods, I was, I'm still can't get through my head. Okay. 30, 35 yards max. It was at 42. It wasn't that much further, but I still, I still wasn't that confident, but I, I been working to get to that point where I, all right, 40 yards is still a poke in the woods and in a hunting situation. It looks but, far too. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> 40 yards in your backyard and 40 yards in, in the timber looks like a country yeah, mile. It's a long shot. 100%. 100%. I always think, do you ever watch that? The, the Jeff, Foxworthy skit where they talk about the deer and trying when they were in the deer's position, broadside yeah. exposes hide, head on, <laughs> live long. 
Oh my gosh. Good old Foxworthy. So Nate, I, uh, you know, we're right here kind of around that hour mark. Um, and one of the things I wanted to give you open floor and do, um, you, you posted a video about your, your shop and kind of, um, where you're at in the process of setting that up and stuff. And you kind of had to ask from some of your viewers, um, you know, I kind of want to give you the floor and just talk about that. What is going to be here in the near future and anybody listening to this, anybody, a follower of average Jack, um, you know, is there anything they can do to help? Is there anything we can do at Pennsylvania Woodsman to help you um, in this progress and, and see that continuation and growth in Average Jack? Yeah. So the channel is going to hopefully as much as possible move resources to the actual shop. So like the filming space and all that type of stuff. I'll still do stuff here at the house, but the idea is to make the entire body of work become at the shop so that means like gear reviews stuff that i'm bringing into stock you know if you want to see something maybe i can try to get it in the store and get a gear if you want it's a lot easier to do that than as an actual shop and buying it as a retail and try to resell it on facebook or something like that so um what we've done is we have the uh the funds to ourselves through our own capital to get the shop up and running uh, but what we don't have is the vast majority is working capital and so one of the things and i hate asking for handouts. I'm the oldest of five kids. Uh, we are, we were a one family income. I'm a school teacher. And I work like seven jobs. I do not take freebies. It is not my thing. It is not for me. Uh, but I, I figured, you know, education, if you feel like you had gotten something out of average check archery, if you felt like it was worth $5 of savings in your life for 10 or whatever, 20 to donate. So we are running a campaign uh, we have a, a GoFundMe. We have a uh, the ability to connect to our business accounts through PayPal and Venmo, uh, which are connected to our point of sale system that works with our inventory. It works with our our, our capital there. Uh, and if if folks feel that they have gleaned something from Average Jack Archery and that it has saved them, you know, ten bucks of their time, five bucks of their time, or or you know, money on this or whatever. Uh, if they feel like that's something that they could donate to, that'd be great. We actually just today, I don't know when this podcast will air, but hopefully the video will come out this week. Actually, I know it will come out this week. We just today went to the building to see the progress of the renovations, uh, and it's all cleaned out to an empty tube. And so I, I'm finally able to film what I wanted to film, which is anybody who donates from the months of March and April, we're going to make a humongous banner with everybody's names on it that said, you are the reason, you know, basically you are the reason this shop is here. This Average Egg Archery is brought to you from the sponsorships of and all the names of anybody who has sponsored to the shop. Because the people who watch Average Egg Archery, the reason why the channel even exists in the first place, you know, I'm not getting paid bonkers by YouTube to do this thing. So it's really the people that keep coming back and the new people that join uh, and, and feel like they've grown in the sport of archery because of the content. So I wanted you know, if the, if the shop was going to continue that, you know, if we were going to move the filming space there, move the review space there, uh, and, and all that stuff that we should continue to have it kind of be quote unquote crowdfunded and, and, and part of, and, uh, I wanted to return the favor to that. So hopefully that video is up on my channel by the time this podcast airs. Uh, and if they're interested, they can go check that out, see the current space as it is updated right now and what the, the, you know, there's no targets, nothing on the walls or anything, but at least they can get an idea of what the space is and how it's laid out and where that banner is going to be. Uh, because I feel like the reason the, the channel exists and the shop exists is because all the people who have followed for seven years, there are people that have watched me for seven years, which is mind blowing. Uh, so, yeah. So I, I appreciate you letting me share that because I think it's, 
this is something I've, this is a dream I never thought was achievable. And uh, the, the people who follow the content and have donated so far are making it happen. Without a doubt. And I think it's something that's well-deserved. Um, I'm in those same shoes as you when it comes to something asking like that, but um, you, you answered that, right. I mean, you, you're doing something to help people. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, at the core, everybody listening to this, we're hunters helping hunters and every chance that you can get to help somebody. And that's what, um, that's what this podcast is about. If there's something that we can do to help somebody, whether that's, you know, we get to, you know, broadcast with Nate and, and, uh, and stuff like that, or if we get to share information, that's going to help a listener. Um, you know, we want to do that for all intents and purposes. Yeah. I'm glad you had me on to do it. I mean, it's, like I said, I don't like asking for handouts or freebies or anything, but as I've had people comment, they're like, Oh, you know, ask for donations, how terrible of you. Um, I would much rather know that my shop is built on some guy who watched the channel, learned how to check his draw length and donated $5 than me paying interest to some millionaire in a bank somewhere wearing a three piece suit. Who's gleaning off of the interest from my small business loan. I would much rather answer that guy's emails about his draw length for life for free on averagejackartridgegmail.com than pay for that guy's second yacht to Haiti. So that 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 that's something that I have no problem saying out loud. Yeah, we appreciate it. Um, Robbie, Nate, any closing thoughts? No, thank you, Nate. Uh, I think you helped out. Uh, really spoke a lot about uh not only pa hunting your indiana hunt uh talked about uh gear and and what uh, your shop and everything like that so i think it was a a good chat i think you really i think our listeners are going to take a lot out of this one i hope so and if they don't they at least got to listen to me derangely talk for an hour but i, I appreciate you guys having me on i really do uh, like i said i think off air you know i don't get asked to do many podcasts so this is really cool. This is this is true honor, and it's nice to be part of the PA PA group. You know, I really take pride in the state of Pennsylvania, archers, bow hunters, and stuff. So I really, I'm really, am thankful you guys had me on. As do we, and uh, I think next time let's make it a point that um, uh, the next time we do this, let's do it in person in Average Jack's new archer shop. Yeah, buddy, July first, doors open. Come on down. <laughs> we'll do. Thanks again, Nate. Um, you have a good one. Yeah, thanks, Nate. Thanks, buddy. You, you as well.